John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, today we begin a fresh sermon series in the Gospel of John. As you can see, we've begun at the beginning, the prologue of John's Gospel, and we're not attempting to work through the Gospel according to John in a, like a systematic, exhaustive way. Instead, we're focusing on a series of encounters that Jesus had with various individuals throughout the Gospel. So we'll be kind of jumping through it, but as we do, I'm sure that we'll see more of Jesus Christ himself. That might be important because you're here exploring Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, what better way than to look at the encounters that he had with people in his earthly ministry? Or you might be here as a Christian, a new Christian, or someone who's been a Christian for a long time. And we'll see today that as even you look at Jesus, you're going to see something of God himself and his relationship and his desire that he, how he wants for you now. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this uh, beautiful prologue of John's Gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, thank you that as we've sung to you this afternoon, we've already spoken of Jesus as a light that has come into a dark place. We see that darkness in the world about us. We see that darkness in the world within us. And we pray by a work of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we would see something fresh of Jesus today. We ask this in his name. 
Amen. Well, I wonder if you ever ask the question, if God is there, why hasn't he made himself more obvious? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why hasn't God, if he's there, spoken louder so that I could hear him easier? And at times when we go through trials or various pressures in life, this question becomes even more powerful for us as we experience various pressures and pains. All the more we find ourselves asking, God, are you there? And if you're there, why aren't you more obvious in this difficult situation? A former Christian preacher who had been an evangelical pastor for over 20 years, later came to turn uh, from God and reject Christianity, and uh, this uh, former pastor, John Loftus, later wrote a book called Why I Became an Atheist. A former preacher rejects Christianity. And in this book, he says the following. Surely, if God, he exists, he knows what it would take for us to believe, so why doesn't he do what it takes? Now, from the believer's perspective, he goes on, this is the problem of quote-unquote divine hiddenness, which is an extension of the problem of evil. But I think this problem is best explained by simply accepting the fact that God does not exist. So here you hear the force of his argument. If God's there, why isn't he more obvious? Why doesn't he speak more louder than he has? Now, this quote from this former pastor treats how we know God as merely a knowledge problem, a problem of information. Uh, he treats it as if we're simply in need of more information about God, and if only we had more information about him, we'd be able to believe but the first step in responding to this subjection is to recognize that our problem in humanity with God is not merely or simply a head problem. It's also a deep, deep heart problem. Did you notice that in verses 9 through 11 and uh, of chapter 1 of John's Gospel? He, he says... The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see, not merely a head problem, not, not just a problem of information, but a heart problem, a problem of us recognizing God speaking when he has spoken. Uh, thank you so much to many of you for praying for me uh, at the passing of my uh, grandmother. Many of you know that earlier on in the month, uh, my 94-year-old grandma uh, sadly passed away. Wonderfully, my son could be there uh, while she was still healthy and able to communicate. But um, I then later, of course, went for her funeral, and family members came from all different parts of the world and different parts of Canada uh, to celebrate my grandma's life. My uncle flew in from Malta into small town Prairie, Manitoba. 
My dad and his wife came from the west of Canada. My brother and sister came uh, with their significant others. And there we were gathered in this small town, uh, farm town, to celebrate my grandma's life. And I showed up, uh, maybe looking a bit different than the last time my uncle saw me. Maybe I didn't have a beard last time I saw my uncle. Maybe I put on a bit of timber uh, since, I, since, I last, since I last saw my uncle. But imagine if I were to rock up among my family, having arrived on my flight and having made my way from the airport down to the small town where Grandma lived. Imagine if I knocked on the door of Grandpa's old house where all the family was gathered and opened the door and went in and no one recognized me at all. Who is this guy who's just come in the door? What's his name? What is he doing here? Does he belong here? And what if they turned me around and booted me out of the house for want of not recognizing me? Imagine the pain that that would cause uh, me. And where would the fault lie if that were to happen? Would it lie with me? Or would it lie with them? See, John's Gospel is saying that God's coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ is a bit like that. He came to his own, his own family, expecting to be received. They, they should have recognized him. We should have recognized him. But his own did not receive him. You see, not merely a problem of the head, but a problem of the heart. That's what's involved in us hearing God's voice. It's as if we're going, God, I cannot see you. Where are you? Could you not make yourself more obvious? God, I cannot hear you. Could you please speak louder? John, John's Gospel diagnoses and says, it's not just a matter of information of the head. It's a matter of whether our hearts are actually open to receiving him. So a change of heart is needed. And here's the remedy that John holds out to us. In Jesus, the Son of God became one of us. He had to become one of us in order to heal our blindness and this tendency we have in ourselves to reject him. So notice how the prologue opens. It says that there was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And that's a connection way back to Genesis chapter 1 which the very first page of the Bible, you'll know, begins in the beginning. And it's almost as if it's one of those movies. Have you seen one of those movies where it simply takes you through the same storyline again and again, and yet each time the movie cycles through the story, it shows you a deeper layer? Have you ever seen one of those films? I'm thinking of the one by Tom Cruise. What's it called? Live, Die, Repeat. And Tom Cruise lives as this futuristic soldier and just keeps, the character keeps living the same uh, story through again and again, but with each pass, we get a deeper view as to what was happening all along. And it's like that as we read the opening words of John's Gospel. We were conscious of the story of creation from the beginning of the Bible, and it's like he's reviewing that story again, but giving us another piece of the puzzle that we might have missed before. And that's that God's Word was there right from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So this 
word is identical with God. He's fully divine. He never had a beginning. He's eternal. And through him, everything was made that has been made. So look around at each other. Look around at different parts of our city, our nation, all of creation. And we learn that everything that we see that has been made was made through this word, this eternal word. And it's actually through this eternal word that all of us have the light of understanding that we do have as we go about our life, as we speak with other people, as we come to judgments as to what the truth is. All of that somehow is sustained by this word. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not understood. So you see, how has God made himself known to us? Well, John's saying, God made himself known to us by the Son of God himself becoming one of us, the light coming into the darkness and living a fully human life. Let me ask you, could God speak any louder than that? Could he raise his voice any more? He didn't want to just give us information. He wanted to come and heal our blindness. And in order to do that, he had to assume our very nature. One of the great theologians of the church said that whatever was not assumed could not be healed. And so God didn't want to just come and solve our information problem. He wanted to solve our heart problem. And to do that, the Son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, we're told, became fully human. Look at verse 14. The word of God, this word we've been talking about, eternal, identical with God, never having a beginning, through whom all things were made, this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word made his dwelling. It, it means that he pitched his tent among us referring to the, uh, the tabernacle that traveled with the people of God in the Old Testament, to which they would go to meet with God. And he's saying, the Son of God's become human, and now we go to Jesus to meet with God. The Word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. How has God made himself known? He's spoken through the Son of God himself, become human. Could God speak any louder? Now this means that there is a word to the world. Secondly, a word to God's people, the church. And there's a word to each of us personally. We'll take each of these in turn, quickly. A word sent to the world. A word sent to God's people, his church. And a word sent to each of us personally. First of all, a word sent to the world. And this means that in our world, there is such a thing as objective truth in matters of religion. Just let that sink in for a second. In God's word to the world, this means that there is objective truth in matters of religion. Again, verse 14, the word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, the Son of God came and walked and lived a fully human life. He showed us what God is like through his words and through his actions. He lived on this planet Earth for uh, or nearly uh, oh, 2,000 years ago, just over 2,000 years ago, and came and showed us who God is. That means that God has invaded human history and that there is objective truth when it comes to matters of religion. I wonder if you were to cast your mind around Oxford and I was to ask you, what is the best restaurant in the city of Oxford? I wonder what your vote would be. What would you say? If you're a fan of Italian, would you say uh, Bella's Italian is the best Italian place in the city? Anyone? No, it's not. It's not. Okay. What is Gino's is the best Italian. Okay, we've got to vote for the best Italian place. What about if you liked Ethiopian or Eritrean food? And maybe Lula's would be the best, would it? Yanni, I don't know. Yeah, the, yeah okay. The one down Ifley Road? Yeah. I hear, I hear that Cosmos restaurant. Is anyone, is anyone fans of Cosmos? I've yet to go on into Cosmos. And I understand that you can get all you can eat, uh, which would be incredibly dangerous for me. Uh, for 20 pounds, you can get all you can eat. Or maybe it's just the Swan and Castle across the way, you know, the, the, uh, the restaurant just on the other side of the Westgate. Maybe that's where you like to go for a bit of food. And I was there just on Thursday. Loved it. Now imagine if someone, someone walked in to the church here and said, let me tell you the best food in all of Oxford and were to authoritatively proclaim that they knew what the best food was you could possibly get in this city. And they didn't talk in terms of preference or taste, what they like. They, were, they talked in terms of like, no, I mean like objectively for everyone, the best food. We would think that they were crazy, right? Because we think going for a meal is largely a matter of preference and taste. And the best restaurant in town depends upon which food we like the best. Now, here's why I share that illustration. It's because... People in our world today, by and large, think about religion that way. Many, many people do. They think that in matters of religion, it's always a matter just of taste. And for anyone who comes and says, no, I know, I know the best food in all of the city, objectively, I'll argue it with you. We'll say, you've gotten a little bit extreme about your favorite restaurant, wouldn't we? But when it comes, according to John's gospel, to matters of faith, he wants to say there are matters of truth in matters of faith. And so this is what it means for us as Christians. We shouldn't treat our faith amid the world as if it's simply like a preference that we have, like whether we like this kind of ice cream or another, or this type of food or another. We want to share Jesus among the world saying, look, I know it sounds crazy, but I actually believe that he's the truth of the truth of the truth. This is the word of God himself become human. We can't treat him as like he's a preference, a personal preference. It's a word meant for the world, and it's bold. Instead of like food preferences, it's more like different kinds of medicine. And though there are different kinds of 
medicine, you'd have your traditional, your herbal, your homeopathic, you'd have your Eastern or Chinese medicine. And though we might say there's all these different kinds of medicine, we do believe that they objectively either help the human body more or less. And that's how we should think about our witness to Jesus Christ. There is objective truth in matters of religion, a word sent to the world. Now, a word sent, secondly, for God's people, the church. Jesus is the word of God himself become human. Could he speak any louder? And those who receive him become part of his family. And it's our job to point to him. In the church, those who receive him become part of a family. And it's our job to point to him. Look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And do you see how this is not just a head matter? Do you see how receiving Jesus, this isn't just about receiving information about him or about God. Receiving Jesus is such a deep thing that it can be compared to being born again. As if we were beginning life all over at the most deep part of our being. Not just a rebirth in our head, but a rebirth in our heart. We become children of God. We enter his family. And this family is the means by which God wants to share the knowledge of himself through Jesus with the world. This is how God in his wisdom wants to do it. He wants to create a family of faith that points to him, just like John the Baptist did. It's almost as if when we meet this character John in the prologue, that he's almost like the prototype, the the foundation, the beginning of the Christian church. And what John does in preparation for Jesus, we're meant to do as the family of faith to point, uh, prepare others to meet with him, just like John did. And so we read of him, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So here comes this man, And Isaiah had foretold that a forerunner would come before the Messiah. And we learn now that it's this man called John. And he came, not pointing to himself. Oh, I'm the one who was sent, who was promised way back. But no, the the finger on the end of John's hand points like this to Christ. And we, as a Christian church, are meant to do that as well. Our finger of pointing, doesn't point towards ourselves. Look how great we are. Look at the ministries that we offer. Look at the power or the wealth that we have. Look at us. How you know a healthy church culture is to ask, which direction does its finger point? <laughs> That's a, one of the deepest questions you could ask about any Christian church. Where really, for all its talk, is its finger pointing? And here, we see that the Christian church is a family of faith who've trusted in Jesus personally, and then they develop this wonderful love of pointing beyond themselves to Jesus. 
And that's our job. We read in verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You see how he, he, he put, pushes himself down, John does, and he lifts Jesus up. And that's what we get to do as a family of faith, lift Jesus up. We become a family of witness that points uh, to him. Now, how do we do that? And what does that mean like practically for the life of our community? Well, we've already spoken about how we believe in the truth, that we believe what we say about Jesus is an objective truth for the world, not just a matter of preference. But notice how in John's gospel, truth and grace are deeply tied together. Verse 14 again. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's how we as a Christian church point to Jesus. We ask that more and more he would fill us with his truth and fill us with his grace. You really can't have one without the other. They're two sides of the same coin. Have you ever met someone who seeks to tell you the truth really aggressively and almost hurtfully in a way that puts you down? Don't you, don't you leave thinking, is it really true what they're saying? And if someone pretends to know lots about grace and know lots about love, but has no conviction about truth, do we really think that they understand grace? You see, truth and grace go hand in hand. And so it is in how we make Jesus known through the church. We ask that he would fill us with grace and with truth. Later on in John's Gospel in chapter 13, he's speaking about how people will know God through him once he ascends into heaven after he dies on the cross, raises back from the grave, and ascends to heaven, how will people know him? And this is what he says to his disciples. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. But a new command I give you. So he's just told them that he's leaving. And this is what he says to us about how the world will know he is who he says he is once he goes. My children, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Here's what this means. It means that the way we treat one another as Christians isn't just like a, a nice thing that we do because we're supposed to for each other. It means how we love one another within the church is actually really important for how the world comes to know that Jesus is who he says he is. So when you're in your fellowship group and you notice one of your members is really going through a life crisis and they need help, when you self-sacrificially love and serve that person, you're not just loving and serving them. It's like the light of Jesus Christ himself then begins to break out all the more among our dark world. And your actions towards that other believer actually can call the unbeliever toward Jesus. You see that? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples or that, that I'm the real deal as Jesus if you love one another. 
So a word sent to the world, there is an objective truth in religion. A word sent for us, God's people, the church, we're a group of people seeking to point each other, point others to Jesus, not pointing to ourselves. And as we love one another, others are drawn into that family of faith. And finally, a word to each of us personally. You see, Jesus is the word of God himself become human. And he's making Jesus known. He's doing it even today in this city. He's working through his church to make God known through faith in Jesus. And this is what this means personally for each of us here. It means that he wants to make himself known to you too. And it might be that you already do know him. And his message to you today is to prize that knowledge more and step into that knowledge more. It might be that you've, you've never heard of this before. And this is the first time that you've heard someone say that you were made to know God. That's why you exist. That's why you're here. And the way God wants to make himself known to you is to invite you to trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did, did you notice how back in John chapter 1, um, the author assumes that this is the most important thing in human life? Verse 18, the final verse of our passage, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So let me ask you just an honest question. If you were to answer the question, what is the greatest problem you're facing in your life right now? What would your honest heart answer be? I think I know what my answer would be. I'm not asking for like the Sunday school, this is what I think is right answer, Andy. Um, I'm asking for your true, hard answer. What's the greatest problem that you're facing in your life right now? And you might be asking, God, why aren't you more obvious in the midst of this problem? And we think that what God should be doing in relationship to this problem is just kind of tidying it up and acting to take it away because it's, it's too hard. But what if God's goal amid this problem is not necessarily to immediately take it away, though he's really compassionate and caring about the pressure. What if he actually thinks that the most important thing in your life and mine is knowing him more? How does that put into perspective the struggle that you and I are facing in, in our lives personally right now? What if it's more important to him that we know him because it's the most important thing in, our, in life over against alleviating our struggles in this short span of days we have before we go and meet with him. He wants you, friend, to know him. You were made to be like a cup overflowing with the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Your heart is hungry to know God more. It's beating for it. And we, we take other things in the world and we try and shove it into that hunger, hoping that it will quell the hunger, quell the thirst, but it doesn't. And so an opportunity this afternoon as we close our service, as we sing this final song, 
to say, Jesus, you are the word to the world. You are the word to the church, and you are the word to me personally. And you're calling me to say, yes, God, there's nothing more important in my life than to know you personally by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray as the musicians come up and as we prepare to sing. Let's pray. God, could you have spoken any louder than this? Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Give us eyes to see the glory uh, that we've seen of you in the face of Jesus Christ, especially as we go through this sermon series and with the encounters of Jesus. Uh, help us to see more of who you are, God, as you've shown yourself so clearly to us in the person of Jesus. We ask this in his name.